Welcome to Sights and Sounds, a yearly podcast series that features leading scholars and experts discussing some of New York City's most important historic places and institutions. I'm your host, Peter Christian-Eigner, director of the Gotham Center for New York City History, which produces the show each fall for Open House New York Weekend. In this episode, Jane Garmey talks about the New York Botanical Garden, a 250-acre horticultural preserve and research institute situated in the northern half of Bronx Park. Established more than 125 years ago, the NYBG, as it is known to many, is both a local and federal landmark. Inspired by London's Kew Gardens, it has matched its British counterpart, both in scope of programming and archival collections. Each year, more than a million people come to see its 30,000 trees, 1 million plants, and almost 8 million herbaria. Its library housing over half a million volumes, and more than double that number in assorted historical material, likewise draws hundreds of botanists and scholars. And the NYBG boasts a professional school, as well as a host of educational programming for children and the general public. Here, Garmi, the former television producer and noted garden writer, shares a couple of her favorite parts of the NYBG, drawing on her recent book, City Green, The Public Gardens of New York. To hear the rest of this series, visit us at gothamcenter.org or find us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Set on 250 acres of land in the Bronx, the New York Botanical Garden opened in 1891. It was established as a result of a visit taken by two botanists, Nathaniel Lord Britton and his wife Elizabeth, on their honeymoon when they went to Kew Gardens in London. Seeing Kew convinced them that New York also needed a botanical garden to advance public understanding of plants, be a repository of rare and valuable specimens, and to lead original research in botanical science. They were the prime movers behind the founding of NYBG, as it is usually called, and the garden is sited in the northern half of Bronx Park, suitable because of its picturesque terrain, freshwater river, rock-cut gorges, and 50 acres of old-growth forest. More than 125 years later, NYBG is celebrated for the beauty and the variety of its topography, the distinction of its horticultural collections, and the breadth and impact of its plants research and conservation programs. However, this was not always the case, and when Gregory Long became president of the garden in 1988, its operating budget was larger than its endowment. Its historic glass conservatory was in desperate need of restoration, and its plant and tree collection served as a backdrop for what in effect had become nothing more than a giant dog run and a nice place to picnic. Not realizing its full potential is all Mr. Long, a master of tact and diplomacy will say, but in fact the place was adrift. Its finances were in perilous shape and everything cried out for change. When he arrived, the garden had an endowment of just over 16 million and an operating budget of over 18 million. First to go with the dogs and the sunbathers. Next came an exacting planning process that marked the formal beginning of NYBG's revitalization. Today, the endowment stands at 325 million and the operating budget is 74 million. NYBG boasts the state-of-the-art Nolan Greenhouses, a glorious late Victorian glasshouse conservatory which has been fully restored, and a new William and Linda Steer herbarium houses 7.8 million plant and fungi specimens. 
there is a new Pfizer plant research laboratory, while the Lou Estermertz Library, home to more than 550,000 volumes and over 1 million catalogued items, including prized photographs, diaries, and rare manuscripts, is a treasured and essential scholarly resource. However, it could be argued that the real development of NYBG has uh, not been its buildings impressive as they are, but the plants and grounds that have been transformed and redesigned over the past three decades. The garden is home to more than a million plants and 30,000 trees. Perennial borders have been entirely redone. The Peggy Rockefeller Rose Garden, designed originally by Beatrice Farrand, has been refashioned and the rock garden reinvigorated. There is a magnificent collection of ornamental conifers, an astonishingly varied orchid collection, a children's adventure garden, and a native plant garden. A graduate studies program enrolls an average of 20 PhD students every year and has a science faculty engaged in research projects all over the world, while a School of Professional Horticulture offers a two-year full-time accredited program and now has more than 350 graduates, many of whom have gone on to work for some of the country's most prestigious gardens. For the general public, there are lectures, classes, and practical workshops for those in interested in improving their gardening skills. While the newest addition to NYBG is the Edible Academy, which conducts hands-on programming for children. For visitors, there's much to see and do. However, I would like to draw your attention to my two favorite parts of the garden. First, the Enid Haupt Conservatory. It is a New York City landmark and a superb example of a late Victorian-style glass house. Built in the early 1900s, it has 11 connecting glass pavilions and a magnificent 90-foot dome. Modeled after the Palm House at Kew and Joseph Paxton's Crystal Palace, it was designed by Lord and Burnham, the preeminent glasshouse company of its day. Unskilled renovations that took place in 1935 and 1950 damaged much of the architectural detail and failed to solve serious uh, environmental and maintenance issues. By 1978, the conservatory was in such disrepair that it needed either to be almost entirely rebuilt or pulled down. Philanthropist Enid Annenberg Haupt came to the rescue, hence its new name, the Enid A. Haupt Conservatory. A more recent restoration has further brought back the conservatory to its pristine former glory. In addition to a permanent collection of palms, cycads, and plant collections from tropical rainforests and the deserts of Africa and America, the conservatory is also the venue for three or four remarkable exhibitions each year. Currently, part of the Kusama exhibition is housed within the conservatory. And every winter, there's a sumptuous orchid show held from January to the beginning of April that features more than 8,000 seductive and exotic orchids. So many, in fact, that no one ever does an actual headcount. The behind-the-scenes effort is uh, intense. It involves 40 staff members and a full 10 days to stage and set up this large-scale production. And should a cast member begin to droop, there are any number of understudies eagerly waiting in the wings, ready to step up and take its place. About half the orchids on display are grown in the garden's own greenhouses, and this number is increasing every year. 
The remainder are purchased from outside dealers and growers and are shipped to the garden in heated trucks. Each year there's a different theme, but whatever the focus, there is astonishing diversity of orchid species to be seen and admired, and no better place to be on a cold, snowy day in the middle of winter. May brings summer spectacular with a winning formula. This is a horticultural display inspired by the work of the artist, humanist, or landscape designer who has inspired the theme of the garden's summer show. In the past, this has been the glassworks of Dale Chihuly, Beatrice Farron's garden created for the Rockefellers on Mount Desert, a rendering of Darwin's English garden, or a recreation of Frida Kahlo's studio and garden at Casa Azul. This year, it is a full-scale show of the work of the Japanese artist Kusama. Every show is meticulously researched by the garden's curatorial and horticultural staff. And, as with the orchids, the plants used within the glasshouse have been carefully propagated so that they bloom sequentially. And when a flower withers or fades, it is whisked away to be discreetly replaced by another glorious specimen. Protected from the vagaries of drafts, winds and pests, these imaginary gardens, which appear so precise and lifelike, are in actual fact all deliciously crafted artifice. Kiku, the art of Japanese chrysanthemum, is another kind of artifice that, beginning in 2007, takes place some years in early October. Put aside any preconceptions you might have about those ubiquitous mums stacked outside your local supermarket. The Kiku display at the Enid H. Haupt Conservatory is something entirely different. These elaborate arrangements are part of an ancient floral tradition that is at least 1,500 years old, whereby chrysanthemum blossoms are cultivated and trained to flower in extravagant designs like bridges, cascades, and the show-stopping Ozukori Dome, which features hundreds of blooms all grown from one stem and strung through individual wire holders that are part of a massive dome-shaped armature. The cultivation and training of one plant takes at least 12 months, and the meticulous preparation and design skills employed by the garden's staff behind the scenes is astonishing. Although there is not going to be a full-scale Kiko exhibit this year, specimens of meticulously trained Kiku are being incorporated into the plantings now on display at the Inide Haup Conservatory creating a dramatic finale for the Kusama exhibition, which runs through Sunday, October 31st. The final extravagance of the year is the holiday train show. G-scale model trains zip through replicas of New York landmarks, each crafted out of natural materials such as barks, twigs, stems, fruits, seeds, and pine cones, erected throughout the conservatory, delighting architecture buffs, children, and garden lovers of all ages. My other must-go-to areas, the native plant garden. Understanding a garden as a welcoming habitat for a large variety of interactive native flora is a rather new and different way to think about gardens. But as with most things unfamiliar, it is more helpful to see and experience a garden that does this successfully than to listen to a bunch of experts inveighing against the precipitous decline of native plants. The native plant garden at NYBG offers just such an opportunity, 
designed by landscape architect Sheila Brady of Ohm Van Sweden and Associates with the help of a $15 million grant from the Leon Levy Foundation. It has close to 450 planted species, all native to Northeast America. Nearly 100,000 native trees, shrubs, wildflowers, ferns, and grasses have been planted in a contemporary style garden that harmonizes with the natural landscape. The garden encompasses four different and distinct habitats, meadow, glades, woodlands, and wetlands, and many of the plants provide shelter and sustenance for wildlife, making this three and a half acre garden a magnet for squirrels, chipmunks, frogs, and a colorful array of birds and butterflies. The central focus is a series of three steep geometric pools where recycled rainwater filtered by aquatic plants cascades over shallow stone weirs from pool to pool. The garden, framed by a forest of heritage oak trees and growing on the site since the 19th century, is planted with native trees, shrubs, ferns, grasses and wildflowers and makes a compelling case for native plants being just as attention-getting as their more cultivated counterparts. A grid of symmetrically arranged sweet bay magnolias from Virginia welcomes visitors at the main entrance, from which begins a journey through shaded woodlands, dry open meadows, and lush wetlands. Visitors move through the terrain, walking sometimes on boardwalks made from native kiln dried black locusts, sometimes on paths, and sometimes on mulch trails. Initially designed for year round interest, each section of the garden unfolds seamlessly into the next. Traversing a broad diversity of growing conditions, one sees a huge variety of trees, shrubs, perennials, grasses, sedges and wildflowers, all chosen to take advantage of the varied natural landscape. Environmentally friendly, locally sourced and recycled materials are used in many parts of this garden. The pool is fed by recycled stormwater captured on site and regulated by an underground system. Sophisticated aeration systems allow ice levels in winter to look good without doing damage, and benches are constructed of salvaged recycles and harvested materials. The garden is all about process and transformation. Nothing is static, and that's all part of its charm. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sights and Sounds. Be sure to check out the rest of the series, available on Apple Podcasts and GothamCenter.org, where you can also learn more about the rest of our programming here at the Gotham Center for New York City History. Post-production for the season was provided by Garrett Tiedemann and Gabriella Montequin for Citizen Race Car. Special thanks to Dina Ecker for helping the making of this episode, too. I'm your host and the show's producer, Peter Christian Eigner, director of the Gotham Center for New York City History at the Graduate Center City University of New York. Be safe, everyone, and enjoy Open House New York weekend.